Quarter to Three Games podcast for early November 2019. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week this week, my game of the week, the thing I've singled out, is not Skullgirls. Ooh. This is Nick Diamond, and my game of the week is not IGI. Oh, I'm going in. I'm going in. That brings me back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is not Death Stranding. McMaster, you uh, apparently... So I know so little about Death Stranding that I kind of want to say... I just know it's Kojima. Don't tell me anything. Like, don't ruin it, because I just uh, want to like, go in blind. But you've apparently got some special um, edition with... What does it come with a helmet or something that you can wear while you play? Uh, no. It might be the most ludicrous special edition I've seen. Um, so, it comes Which, which coming a, from you, McMaster, by the way, is really saying something. Well, I, I don't order that many anymore. Uh-huh, but, sure. like, the ones that I've, I'm always afraid that are going to sell out that I might be interested in, I'll go and, like, pre-order them the second they hit Amazon. And then, like I did with this one, I'll forget I did that until <laughs> I get a charge on my credit card that says I've got oh. a lot of Kojima coming my way. So, does, so McMaster, does that mean you've got two of those Fallout uh, canvas bags? I have none of those. Uh, no. Oh, no, Lord, fool me 17 times, shame on you. But, uh, but the uh, – and then I was like, well, okay, what's in it for all this money? And I was like, it's like 15 pounds. I was like, oh, God. So there's a one-to-one scale baby in a baby container from the game. What? That's just weird and gross. Wait. That, that comes as the extra? Yes. It's one-to-one scale. It's uh, a full-size baby. I don't, that's, uh, yeah, I don't know where to go with that. I'm a little, hor- I'm a little horrified. I'm fascinated. Well, that's not what I was shooting for. That's, uh... I mean, it's not a bloody bikini torso, but... No, no. What, what but... had that, Nick? I, that sounds familiar. Oh, that was that Chainsaw oh. Zombie game or whatever, right? Was no, 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 that Chainsaw? was uh, Dead Island. Dead Island! Yeah, oh, my yeah. God, I forgot about that. Yeah, Dead Island had that. So stupid. So Remember that Dead Island trailer? Yeah, I do. The great one or the... Yeah. Uh, yeah, the yeah, one. the one that... They didn't really deliver on in the game. <laughs> well, yeah, it's tough to live up to a trailer like that. Just a great little bit of, uh, of zombie fiction. I love that trailer. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, yeah, the trailer that... is terrific. It's the best thing about the game. It's a McMaster, decent... I have one question. Tell me one thing. Are there zombies in Death Stranding? Uh, I don't think they're zombies, but you can uh, call them zombies. They're, they're kind of gross and creepy looking. All right. Okay, well, I, I have that looked for. That's this Friday, right? Yes, that's tomorrow, yeah. Or, right. yeah, Friday first. Oh, wait, tomorrow. That, Death Stranding comes out tomorrow. Okay, well, uh, we're not going to talk about that, though. We're going to talk about things that we have been yeah. playing. <laughs> but tomorrow night you can tune in and see me and my giant baby play. <laughs> oh, boy. I have another dumb question. Is Death Stranding, a, for some reason I'm assuming it's a PlayStation exclusive? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. Can't play it on Steam. All right, so McMaster, what are you playing to tide you over until your baby arrives in, with Death Stranding? Oh, you mean other than Red Dead Redemption 2, which we've already talked about? Uh, well, Real quick, are we all, Nick, do you have Red Dead Redemption 2? Uh, PC and Xbox, yeah. How's it? Uh, how do you guys feel that it's looking on the PC? Kind of oh, like yeah. a, kind of like, kind of slacking off over there at Rockstar, right? Yeah, it's garbage. Looks like oh, it. yeah. no, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's like it's intensely beautiful. attractive game. Yeah, and it's just so crisp. Uh, I really do. I like. I'm. I you know I'm I know a lot of people when a, especially if they don't have a PlayStation or an Xbox One, a Rockstar game comes out and they're like, man, why won't it, why won't they release it simultaneously with the PC? Wah. And I should be more understanding of that. But I just love when Rockstar finally does a PC port like this, and you yeah. can see how much advantage they've taken of of taking their time, Mark like how much work they've put into it. Oh yeah. Um, I really, really wish that they'd put like ray tracing into it because I think this game would be rad with ray tracing. With you're just mad because you you're you have one of those rare video cards that does it. It's not that rare. I mean, can my video card do ray tracing? Yes, actually, just oh. not well. Uh, oh. they, they enabled <laughs> just it badly. <laughs> yeah, they they like enabled it for non RTX cards if people wanted to try it, and it's it's pretty rough actually. <laughs> Yeah, it's just the pipeline and the RTX. Well, hardware. I am pleased. My computer's five, six years old. Uh, I 
Red Dead Redemption 2, it, it runs and, I mean, it looks amazing and it runs just fine. Like, I, I don't feel like there's anything suboptimal going on with that. Right, you're on a 1080, right? I do, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the only difference between the cards is, like, a, a few of those little hardware nerd things and the RTX tray, like, pipeline stuff, so... McMaster, I've also got 16 megabytes of RAM... Uh, gigabytes of RAM... No, megabytes? Oh, I've got a lot of RAM. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish it was megabytes. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. So, uh, yeah, I've got Play a, those like Apple II cool games. Yeah, yeah uh, but no, yeah, it looks. I, I love. Uh, I love it on the computer. Well, so we're all playing Red Dead Redemption Two. We'll have more talk of that once we put more more time into it. I don't know about you guys, but my current dilemma is: Do I play through the story again, or do I finally really jump into Red Dead Redemption Online? And I don't. I don't have an answer for that yet. Uh, but are you? I'm guessing you guys are struggling with the same question. Kind of. Uh, I'm just waiting to see who goes to online first, and then I'll. No, it'll probably be me because I'm impatient. Uh, lead the lead the way, McMaster. We're, we're right behind you. Well, I'm, I am I, curious. I, I can say I'm already farther in online than I ever got in my playthrough on the Xbox. Now, is that saying much? No, not really. Yeah. It's like level eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't get very far either. But well, but like literally on the Xbox, I played online the first that first tutorial mission, and then went into free roam and thought, eh. <laughs> yeah, same here. Well, also partly because you know that it was something that they were going to – when when it, when Red Dead Redemption 2 came out, they were even very upfront about, okay, the online stuff, it's in beta. Like it, it was like a while before they finally said, okay, we're done putting stuff in there, and you know over time they're going to add more. So it kind of behooved you to wait right. anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. I don't know. Yeah, it just wasn't yeah, – All right, well, the, we'll, yeah, we'll talk more about launch. that in a – Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, at launch on the console, like, it, it, there was really nothing to do in online. Yeah. <laughs> it really was just free roam and go shoot random people. Like, right. there was not much at all going on. <laughs> and random people shooting you. Yeah, Yeah. true. So we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that in a couple of weeks, though. Uh, let's talk about things that we've had a little bit more time with. So, McMaster, I want to hear about this thing that you're playing, and I want you to tell me that I haven't made a terrible mistake by uninstalling it. So I really like The Outer Worlds. Um, I know that for some reason there's a couple of people, well, I mean, obviously the people that don't like anything, we could just discount them. But there's a couple of people that are <laughs> down on it. Well, uh, they're welcome to do their own podcast and talk about how they don't like it. We want to know what yeah. you think, McMaster. But uh, I like it quite a bit. It, it's mm -hmm. it, it really is kind of that niche, like, Fallout New Vegas feel. Uh, it totally has the feel of one of those games. It has, but I think it has its own interesting uh, mechanics. With some little, well, not, and it's stolen a lot of mechanics and made them into interesting things as well. Um, so, but, well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, God. Uh, one of the reasons that I did uninstall it was I, I jumped into it. I started. I, I rolled up a character. I started playing it, and it just felt so much like a Fallout game, a Fallout New Vegas. And I, I appreciate that, but it just felt like a sort of a science fiction reskinning. Uh, there's one other reason that I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit, but eventually I kind of thought, well, I've I've seen all this kind of stuff in, in the Fallout games. Uh, I just it, it just felt I got this sense of deja vu. Uh, is that fair? Oh, no, I, mean, I think that's totally fair. Um, it's a game that is developed by the you know New Vegas guys and the and obviously Fallout One and Two. You know Tim Kane and um, Leonard Brodsky or something like that. Right? Mm -hmm. I can't remember. So but anyway, they those guys were dealt with Fallout, uh, and, and they made the, the Fallouts that I'm very fond of. So, I mean, there's that. The problem, I think, that people run into with the Outer Worlds is it's... I don't like... I kind of don't like the very beginning of it. Uh, it's a little too narrow. Uh, and you get kind of forced with this initial quest that's real ham-fisted, in my opinion. Kind of. I'm kind of glad to hear you say that because that was part of my frustration is sure. oh, I got yeah. to a point no. where, okay, do I decide to divert power yep. to the evil corporate overlords in the city or to the rebels living out in the country? And it just felt like the kind of thing that I'd done. You know, I'd made this decision 20, 30 times in a Fallout universe, and here I am doing yeah. the same kind of thing over again. 
Uh, so is that is that the early part you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I don't. I mean, I, the first plan, it's okay, and it's like you know, whatever. It it looks cool, and it, you know, you can do a lot of stuff there. And I had a good time with it, but that actual part of it, I don't like very much. And I think it's just a little too weirdly divisive. Uh, I mean, it's like, oh, what are you guys trying to say? Uh, but once you get past that, there, there's actually some pretty good writing. Um, my my only real problem with the game beyond that is that it's it's not very forthcoming, or at least maybe I just didn't notice it. With a lot of the stuff that kind of makes a big difference to how you play the game, um, like mechanics, you mean? What, what, yeah. Okay. So like what? Like yeah. like there's a skills uh, group called leadership. Um, it, you know, a lot of people don't, won't start out with a very high leadership. But what, and it might have mentioned this, it might not have, I don't know. But you have to look through all these these skills and stuff individually. And they all have, no matter where you are in them, they have like a 20, 40, 60, 80, and 100 perk. Um, and the 20 perk for leadership is that you get to direct your other character's special moves. Right. Um, which is easy to miss. But makes a huge difference. Uh, because, like, say, for instance, you're playing on hard like I was, then you make your guys do their actual combat moves instead of just being standard NPCs that follow you around and shoot at stuff on occasion. Um, and I, I think those are pretty cool. They have little cutscenes with them, and they do, like, extra damage and knockdown or, or, and stuff like that, uh, that that are pretty great. It's very Mass Effect-y in a way. Uh, and, and you feel that that wasn't clear when you hit leadership 20 or, or no no it was clear when i hit leadership 20 i just had no earthly idea until okay. that point that it, and it's not like i'm saying oh no you know oh yeah you should go read every skill and, and i you know sure i should have but it's also kind of a large gameplay mechanic to put behind a, a skill that a skill that someone not interested in leadership that someone not right. interested in leadership character might not even look at, for instance, you're saying. Right, right, because there's two skills under it. There's leadership and determination, or not leadership, uh, whatever the hell. One of them is the leadership one, and there's another one's determination. Determination, if you level it up, you it also heals your your party, and it doesn't, you know, it's just kind of weird. There, there's not a lot, and I'm not asking for a lot of hand holding, but there's just not like a lot of explanation. To a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, Nick, if, have you spent any time with Outer Worlds? Yeah, I have, um, and I, 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 I feel, I definitely feel what Jason's saying. Like there is a lot of weird, like a lot of weird obtuse mechanics around the skills. Like, yeah. like there are things, you know, if you've played RPGs a lot, there are things going on here that you would not expect. Like, yeah, if you plus your charm, you get better at. You yeah, know, yeah. Like heavy weapons. Crazy or crap. It's like, yeah, what? Yeah. And you're like, why would that influence that, right? And I sort of get what they're doing, right? They're they're trying to force you as a player to spread your points around or at least make interesting choices, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're not you're not just min maxing all on perception, which would be the way to do it with any shooter. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I get what he's saying. Like you you kind of assume this stuff. You get into it and you realize, oh man, I have completely started with a wrong character. Yeah, and <laughs> and that's, then that's what's weird about it. Yeah. Too, it's just like, yeah, I got a ways into it, and I was like, man, this character does not work how I thought this was going to work. And I, there's just a lot of stuff that's just not explained, really. Or if it is, it's not well explained, or at least not put in your face. You know. Yeah. How, how much of this has to do, do you guys think, with relocating the Fallout formula to a more uh, space opera kind of situation. Like, are they having trouble adapting to science fiction at all? No, God. No, no I, yeah, I don't think that's it at all. It's so, you know, hell, it's it's not that big of a change, realistically, you know. I mean, it's, they, they've had, uh, I mean, hell, Fallout, and people can be shitheads in space, it turns out, as well as the apocalypse, so that's, uh, that's basically the theme of all those games, right? Anti-corporate, anti-like, but you can be pro corporate if you want. That's allowed, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and that's one, and that's what's kind of weird about the game is that uh, I don't know. I don't think they really expect people to be pro corporate, um, and it doesn't seem like it's written that way. But it's, it, it's uh, it, it seems to me like they're kind of doing it like uh, any other developer might allow a good or evil choice. 
And right. like playing corporate is is making the evil choice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing is like I think the game does get more interesting, but at the end of the day, or after that first planet, and I think I think a lot of people probably agree with that, or at least I, some people I've talked to have. That uh, after Edgewater, it, it gets you know you get up and you start doing a lot more of the RPG stuff. The writing kind of improves, and uh, the stuff that goes on gets a little bit more interesting. Um, but the thing that it, that I like about it is that it, it is very it is very New Vegas. You know, you have so many roles, you have so many different options to do stuff. You know, like there's a UI setting that in conversations it'll tell you whether or not you're uh, how close you were on the intelligence roles mm-hmm. you need to do stuff or the different skill roles and you can have that turned on or off etc um and I, I do like the characters so far uh the only uh, the only things yeah that not really the, that beginning kind of irritated me but uh well the reason i ask about the space opera thing and this is the second reason that I've uninstalled it, and this one is my fault more than anyone else's, um, is I, because I, I loved Fallout New Vegas, and I especially liked it after you could play it as a more hardcore survival simulator. Sure, uh, yeah. I, I loved that element of it, so I was kind of pleased when I booted up uh, Outer Worlds oh. to discover oh, there's, Lord. A, there's a similar setting here. So I thought, yeah, that's cool. I want to recapture the sense of stakes. The, the, you you the, tried it? No, I did, and I played through a fair bit of it, and eventually realized that um, I don't. I don't think it really works as a survival game because, in, in a post-apocalyptic situa- situation, that makes sense. Um, but I'm not sure that that really fits with this colorful space opera vibe that they're going for. Like, I don't. I, I still never figured out how to get a drink of water. Like, that's that's something that I've never seen a science fiction movie where that's the hero's main issue. Um, He's getting some water. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to. I had plenty of stuff in my backpack that would uh, meet my hunger demand, but I still don't know how to get a drink of water in that game. So I also the another problem I have is that when you choose that setting, and I'm okay with things being more difficult. Of course, things are more difficult. You can't choose the survival stuff at a yeah. lowered difficulty level. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the shooting being difficult, with really challenging me with what kind of character I'm building. But the main problem I had, and the reason that ultimately I was like, you know, I've got other things to play. I can't, I don't have the patience for this. I'm uninstalling it, is the restrictive save system. And again, I normally love that. I am totally okay with the high stakes. uh, But when you play with the survival mode, you can only save back at the ship. And I was getting to points where I I was just losing so much progress when I died. Uh, And so I would go back and I would be more careful, but then I would die because it's on the super challenging level. And some of the stuff you guys are talking about where maybe certain mechanics aren't being surfaced, I don't know how much of it was, was that situation like maybe you know i never quite i saw that i could unlock a sidekick special ability i never quite got there maybe i needed to push harder in that direction maybe i needed to grind some more i don't know that's yeah the sidekick is aren't the sidekicks like permadeath or something in that exactly and that's another thing is i I would have to reload when the sidekick got killed yeah because i you know when like in fallout 3 when dog meat dies that should be a huge devastating horrible thing that might be one of your your narrative beats in the story yeah. and that's cool to have those are those are awesome stakes so i think they're trying to do that in outer wild worlds and i'm just <laughs> not sure that the situation that the genre lends itself to that kind of punishing difficulty um and so again that's on me for trying to start it that way uh if i if i jump back into it i'm not going to try any of the survival nonsense at least until i figure out how to get a drink of water you know i mean like for me it's playing on playing on hard is good enough it it kind of like makes you play the game to at least some of the best of your ability and having your you know your your sidekicks unlocked helps a lot too hard is one level under the survival one is that right yeah and so does it just is it just you still save anywhere? You don't ever have to yeah. eat food or drink water? Right, right. It's just yeah. enemies are tougher, that kind of thing. Yeah, the enemies are okay. a good bit tougher, yeah. Um, and so, like I said, that that's made a big difference with me using the, the psychic abilities because then you can kind of force them to go in and get aggro, and then you can come in and kill them as well. So it's, it's, it's a, it makes a huge difference. 
Uh, and your sidekicks won't die. Like if you send your sidekick in to get aggro and she gets killed, she yeah, revives after the up, battle. Just like just like Fallout. Just yeah, like they'll just all get do up. the uh. Yeah. Right. Hey, did you say shredded? <laughs> that is one of my favorite. Li- I mean, it, it's <laughs> or, uh, shredded. You say shredded. Uh, you say. Or no, no, it's to shreds. You say because it's a yeah. Futurama quote. Uh, yeah, they're one of your sidekicks. When you activate her, she screams or, or runs into combat. She shouts, "To shreds, you say," which is like a Futurama quote. Which is so there I you think, have it. Okay, so uh, <laughs> Outer Worlds, not Outer Wilds. I'm not the only one having yeah. that. that. No, no, everyone. So in, many times. Basically, <laughs> uh, they should just call them by their acronyms. Oh wait, no, that doesn't help. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, Outer Wilds. Uh, well, once you get to, does it become nonlinear at all after that first planet? It becomes somewhat. I mean, you can at least choose the order of some of the things you do, and you can choose different places to go. There is a, there's a number of locations. So there is a sense of spacefaring once you get through that first planet. That's one of the things that oh, I'm yeah. also curious about. Is yeah, that true? like the the next area is, um, it's a big space station. So you spend a lot of time on a space station. Like a ton of, and it's not, but it's not, I actually like it quite a bit, because it's not like Mass Effect Space Station. There's not like a ton of wasted room, you know? You're not just like, oh, let me run past this one stupid NPC conversation that you have once ever, you know, with this one console and all that stuff, like you do in Mass Effect. Everything's pretty compact. Master Mass Effect, you have to imagine that Citadel Station is just bustling with people, that it's crowded, that... All that oh, has to live in your head. The game can't all that. can't do that for you. Yeah, yeah, that's just head cannon. Yeah. When it, whenever you're on the Citadel and look at that skybox of the rest of the Citadel yawning off in the distance, you just imagine. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've gone through there already. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like I've ran through there already, at least, just going back and forth. Uh, Nick, what difficulty did you decide to play Outer Worlds on? Oh, I'm a wuss. I always do normal. I do normal for almost everything. Uh, I did normal at first in this game, but it was kind of too easy for me. Um, it is very easy, yeah. Yeah, it was like <laughs> I was just kind of jokingly smashing people in that game. It's just ridiculous. They put it on hard, and it was, well, it's a different story. McBester, is there an achievement for finishing on, on hard? Do you know? I don't know. Thank All right. Me. Well, I guess you might find out. Yeah, I hope so. Nick Diamond. What single play? So we talked before about the multiplayer in a Modern Warfare, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Uh, you'd played it in beta. Now that the game is out in the wild, do you have anything more to say about the multiplayer before we talk about the single player? Sure, it's fine. <laughs> so I mean, basically, like it's the, fine. The, nothing has changed, or there, there's nothing that was unexpected from what you saw in the beta. No, not really. I mean, they added a they added another ground war map, so now there are two of them. They look very similar, though. So uh, I, I I don't know. They, ground they're, war. Which yeah, that's the war? ground war is the thirty two versus thirty two. Oh, battlefield ripoff. Oh. Kind of battlefield ripoff, except vehicles don't really do what vehicles do, and yeah. <laughs> It's no, really just a giant team deathmatch. It's a sure. giant team deathmatch. Um, it's fine. The, the the multiplayer's fine. I'm I'm sure longtime players will be excited to be, you know, not in World War II, in a modern setting, boots on the ground, no jetpacks, no X-ray vision, uh, you know, back to basically AKs and you know M16s and M4s and whatnot. But I can still get um, a mech suit though, right? It, no, but but you can get oh, white yeah. phosphorus, you can get white phosphorus dumped on people. Mm, that works. Yeah, that's cool. Not quite as fantastical. The the white phosphorus as a as a mech suit. Yeah. So uh, no. <laughs> so so you wrote in in your review, which I would definitely invite people to read because uh, I think it's a an approach to reviews that I wish more people would take rather than treating games as consumer items but uh you wrote in your review about the disparity with this whole idea of white phosphorus like the, the difference between how it feels in single player and how it feels in multiplayer uh now that you've played the single player uh tell us a bit more about how that turned out and 
Yeah, what, what did you... Is it worthwhile... Should McMaster and I play through the single player of Call of Duty Modern Warfare? Yes. What? Why? Yep, I think Why? you should. Because it's gross and dirty, and it makes you feel slimy, <laughs> and... Why do you want something like that for us? I, I, I almost feel like... It's it's almost like the experience of watching Hostel or, ah. let's say, Saving Private Ryan if you were rooting for the Germans. Well, now I still – I'm a huge horror fan, and I would never recommend anyone watch Hostel. So. <laughs> Amen to that. Good lord. <laughs> well, my my feeling about horror, and this and and this is probably similar to what I think you might be getting at, Nick. My my feeling about horror is that a lot of horror that is revered is actually just trash, and I feel has no redeeming value and has no craft to it. And I, I think Hostel is a prime example of this. I feel this way about a lot of '70s horror stuff, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, oh. And and. I, so I, I, I love horror, but I think there are instances of horror that are just trash that for some reason people like because it's gritty and slimy and it just feels a little gross. Uh, so that sounds like a little bit about what you're saying when you're talking about modern warfare. Well, I, I, I sort of feel like with modern warfare, because it's such a it's such a huge cultural touchstone and really I, the term gets thrown around a lot for for really things that I don't think it applies to, but I feel like Call of Duty is a, an influencer in every sense of the word. It, uh, You've got, you know, teens and preteens and adults playing this game, and it presents warfare in a certain way that I feel if you are not cognizant of what is being put out there, then you don't really have a good understanding of how certain people wind up with the outlooks that they do of war. And I know that's a lot of words, <laughs> and it's super complicated, but I, the so the example I used in my review is there's a part in the game where it's very explicitly told to the player that the Russians committed this horrible atrocity uh, where they blew up uh, a bunch of soldiers and civilians on a highway uh, called the Highway of Death in the country of Urzikstan. Um, fictional country of Urzikstan, which, ugh, that name. <laughs> but, yeah. so if you know your history, right, like, the real Highway of Death is something we, the Americans, did. <laughs> But, you know, over in that part of the world. And it is a hotly debated topic uh, amongst scholars and politicians uh, all over the world, whether or not it was an atrocity. Because by many accounts, we did kill a bunch of civilians in the highway of death. And we killed a bunch of surrendering soldiers. Um, now, there were reasons militarily that we did that. I I'm not going to judge. Uh, I well no f that I'm gonna judge. <laughs> uh, it, it probably was a terrible thing and not a shining moment for us, right? But the game presents it as the Russians did it, and there's no commentary about this. And the game goes on then to depict everything that we're doing in Urzikstan as pretty good and pretty just. And everything that the Russians do is really super evil. No Russian. Right. <laughs> and it, like, it's one of those things I feel like, and this is, it's long enough ago, the real highway of death, that I can guarantee there are people playing this game that have no conception of what the highway of death really means to Iraqis in the real world, right? And so they're coming out of this game, and they if they're like other Call of Duty players, they're the people that play all the Call of Duties. And I can't think of a Call of Duty where, yeah, we got to make some tough decisions, and we're doing some maybe uncool things, but the greater good must be served. And you know what that greater good is? It's freedom and Western values. 
French fries. Uh, and it's, pie. Yeah, and it's just gross. It's super gross. <laughs> now, I so propaganda. Um, what you're describing to me, like, I, I, it sounds to me like you're describing a really facile representation of war, and I don't really feel the need to subject myself to that to understand that a lot of people, and presumably a lot of young people, uh, have a facile understanding of war as well. Um, like, I don't, I don't need to really, I, I have no desire to really discover where they get this, uh, so much as to know that that's their understanding of war, that it's facile. Uh, so I still don't want to play Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Like, I don't want to be subjected to something gross like that just to understand that some people don't understand war and they've got a romanticized view of it. Well, I will say it's probably the most technically competent of the Call of Duties, and it is gorgeous. Wait, so you'd say it's visually stunning? Oh, boy, yes. <laughs> I want to hear Sounds you say that. I want, I want to yeah. hear that come from your mouth, Nick Diamond. Uh, I would like to hear that too, yeah. It's visually splendid. Oh, he oh. couldn't do it, McMaster. He no, couldn't bring himself it. to I'm do it. I'm not doing it. No, no, wow. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, I, I, let me ask you this. Is there anything that this modern warfare would, would present uh, that wasn't presented better in the, the good modern warfare with the C-130 gunship sequence and the, the nuke going off and the, the one that was provocative before they got to, to just trying to be shocking. Is there anything I could get in this one that I couldn't get better by just going back and replaying that modern warfare? Yeah, I would say there is one one sequence in the single-player campaign, which uh, is it, I, I think it's the one that most people that I've seen comment on as far as being the most engaging is uh there is a nighttime raid in a in an apartment building um so it's all seen through night vision goggles and you've got a team going up the stairs basically in this apartment building very raid like um and you know single file running up the stairs one by it's very cramped uh it's very uh tense it's very claustrophobic um it's done very very well um, and, and I would say in isolation, nothing wrong with that level. Like that level could be a SWAT level. It could be, you know, just raiding terrorists or whatever. It's, it's a really, really good level. It's the type of level I wish the single player had more of. Right. Right. Um, has either of you guys seen a movie called triple nine? No, it's a little, it's a little obscure, but. There, there's a the cool box. sequence like what you're describing, Nick, that that reminds me of Triple Nine. It's a it's a tactical police raid, though, uh, but it, it very much in a in a a tenement building, and it very much reminds me of what you're, what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Probably so, the worst. I would say the worst level in the game is there's a weird stealth level where you play a uh -oh. little girl, <laughs> and you're crawling through a house, and there's a there's like a Russian guy, and he's he's you know, a Russian soldier is trying to kill you, basically, and so you're you're scurrying under furniture, and then at specific points, obviously, because it's Call of Duty, and they can't stop giving you prompts on the screen, um, you, you hide under beds or whatever, and then you scurry out, and you s quickly stab this guy. Um, and then you scurry back under the furniture, and he, he grabs himself. Ah, you damned fool! And then he tries to find you again, and you have to scurry around the apartment. And not, it's terrible. That that is maybe the worst level. <laughs> I've uh, I've I've done something similar in Bioshock Two. I think I I saw all I needed to say see of a, a scary world from a little girl's perspective. McMaster, what was that Resident Evil where one of the players was a little girl oh. and the other was? Which one was that? Was that the Umbrella Chronicles? Was that it? Was no, that I don't one? think it. Because Umbrella Chronicles. Well, it might have been. McMaster, let's go back and play it, and I need you to play the little girl. Uh, it, was it the one where one player has to shine the flashlight and the other player plays the game? Oh, God, no. I mean, well, I don't. I remember that sequence in several Resident, several Resident Evils where, you're like, in Resident Evil 5, you're going through those tunnels, and you have the flashlight, and somebody has to hold it while the other person shoots stuff and everything. So, McMaster, I need you to carry the flashlight, okay? All right, yeah, well, no, well, I can do it. I'm good at flashlights. 
Also, I need you to, uh, if I play Call of Duty Modern Warfare, I just need you to play through that uh, that stealth bit Nick just described for me uh, in my playthrough. So I just need you to do that for me, okay? Oh, yeah, no, yes. I'm a pro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick, how long of a single-player campaign would you say it is? That's about six hours. Okay. It's about six hours. It's it's equivalent to most of the Call of Duty single-player games. It's it's over pretty quickly, so thankfully there's that. <laughs> Sounds like basically the length of watching Save it Private, Saving Private Ryan twice back-to-back. <laughs> well, watch oh, yeah. the special features right or like once forwards than once backwards <laughs> it has a happier ending backwards. it has a super happy ending man <laughs> yeah it does it's so much better yeah but you don't earn it oh yeah uh... no. well you do you just earn it much earlier in the film and you have to really <laughs> earn it as you watch uh, alright Call of Duty Modern Warfare uh, are you gonna are you engaged by the multiplayer are you going to play more multiplayer are you done with that i'll probably play a little bit more of the multiplayer with my pattern for all the multiplayers on call of duty is usually i'll go up to the max i'll prestige or whatever and then i'll play maybe 10 more levels and and then i'm done jesus you prestige in call of duty modern warfare Eh, i'll do it yeah jeez nick i didn't know that about you i'm i don't know if i should be impressed or ashamed i'm probably ashamed (laughs) yeah yeah i (laughs) I used to like I used to do that and like years back, but yeah. I, oh, yeah, I haven't prestiged since uh, maybe ever. Wow. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think probably Black Ops Three was the last one I did that. Day. McMaster, I don't know about you, McMaster, but I'm I'm like seeing Nick in this whole new light now. Oh yeah, no, he's he's a uh, he's dying the wolf killer. That's what Nick <laughs> is. That's right, Generation Kill, buddy. That's right. All right, well, let me tell you guys about a game that I'm playing that has no commentary whatsoever on war, and it does not have a survival mode. So, right away, uh, I'm super easy for me to play through because of that. Uh, did either of you play Skullgirls, which I just found out today trying to look it up. Skullgirls, uh, one word. Don't try to write it as two separate words. Uh, yes. or, or what will happen? You, you won't be able to find it very well. Google oh, will oh. Cor- Google will oh. correct you, and, and and in being corrected, you will feel slightly reprimanded. Oh, yeah, yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> so does either of you know Skullgirls, the fighting game? I'm, yes. I haven't played it, but I'm familiar with it. So uh, amazing, the, the Lab Zero is the name of the developer. Uh, I just love their character design. Their animation just has so much charm. Uh just really clever writing for the different characters. But unfortunately, the problem with Skullgirls is it's a fighting game, and I just don't have it in me to learn fighting games well enough to, to play them in any meaningful sense of the word. I can sit there and put it on easy and make stuff happen and then get through different cutscenes, but I just I, I lose interest in that. So unfortunately, even though I loved their design work in Skullgirls, I didn't really get to experience it as, as much as I would have liked to. Uh, and when I say design work, I mean uh, art design, not necessarily game design. Because game design-wise, it was just a typical fighting, punching, kicking, fighting game where you mm. paid attention to uh, frames and whatnot, and I, that's just not my bag. So fortunately, and I like to think that this is they did this just for me, their latest game is not a fighting game. It is a 2D – and actually, how to describe it? If you were to tell me they're doing a 2D platformer, I would go, ugh. Because I, I have no desire. 2D platforming is, to me, so many indie games are doing it, so many different ways. I'm, I'm just, 2D platformers, I just, I can't be bothered. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm kind of over it. It's right below, it, it's, it's slightly above um, free-to-play uh, as a selling point. You know, it's not quite <laughs> as bad, but both of them are like, nah, I'm not interested. <laughs> Yeah. So, un- unfortunately, this game I'm going to tell you about, it's called Indivisible. It's Lab Zero's latest release. It is a 2D platformer, but that's just kind of the shell for it. Uh, you're running around in this 2D platformer world, and they're doing the kind of Metroidvania thing, where at certain areas you get something that will unlock new areas, and it's all pretty straightforward. But one of the things that they do here, and where you can tell this isn't the 2D platformer that you should be scared of, Sometimes you have to do wall jumping. Does either of you know what wall jumping is? Yes. I'm an old school wall jumper. Yeah, where like you, you hit one side of the wall, and then you hit the jump button when you hit it, and then it hit it bounces you to the other side of the wall, and you hit the jump button there. Oh, and yeah. it, It's a timing thing, and at first it can be frustrating, 
you play a game long enough, it gets into your muscle memory, uh, and you just wall jump no problem. But there are those early stages where, especially if it's like a super long wall jump or it gets frustrating, where you're just sort of being introduced to and learning the game's physics and how the characters move. So in Indivisible, early on, it's very clear you're going to have to do a lot of wall jumping. It's how they do verticality. But what they do, they just tell you, look, here's we're going to have you wall jump here. Just, just hold the jump button down. We'll do it for you. Uh, like there's nice. yeah exactly it's super like it's it's like a it's like some some jumping games would uh like some games you might play and you get to a point where it's like a jumping puzzle and you're like oh god but then you discover oh no it'll do the jump for you it doesn't it's not going to make you time anything so it's the same with the wall jump here is that i just go up and as long as i set it up correctly i just hold the button down and the girl just bounces back and forth and she gets where she needs to go easy as could be um and they mix it up a little bit. At a certain point, she gets an axe where she can go halfway up a, a, a wall to grab it and then push herself the rest of the way. So maybe a really complicated traversal is press B to do your axe, and then at the height of the axe, press A and hold it down, and she wall jumps. All of that, very straightforward. It's not going to challenge me with a bunch of jumping puzzles. It doesn't expect me to get any reflexes going at that level. Um, even to look at the in-game map. Like, you're playing these 2D levels. And they sprawl out, and you eventually are like, wait, where's the next door that I haven't opened? So you open a map, and there's a key for, okay, that's the door I haven't opened over there. I need to go over there. And then you close the map, and you're back in the game. One of my issues with games, and, and so few games do this right. Far Cry 2 is one of the few games to do it right. I don't, I don't like it when a map forces me out of the game world. Like, a, a really good map system should not make you leave the game and go to a separate screen. If it, if it wants to be convenient and immersive and all of those fun things. So in this game, to look at the map, you just push up on the, on the stick, and the little girl looks up into the sky, and the map appears in the sky. You're still in the game world. You're still looking at the exact same thing, but you just push up on the stick to check the map real quick. And you're like, oh, okay, that's where I need to go. To so the I just, sky? I'm, I'm sorry? You're going to the sky? No, it's just like she's thinking in I, her I, head. I, I think she's like looking up to think uh, – and then the map appears at the top half of the screen. Like, it's mm -hmm. not like you have to go into a different screen. You just push up, and then the top half of the screen becomes the map without you leaving the game world. There's still a little, the picture of the little girl on the bottom, and you're still looking at the level you're on. But it just pops the map up for you. It, it overlays it uh, on the top half of the screen. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, super convenient. So then why would I bother playing a game like this where I'm just running around in halls and holding down the button and, and uh, for wall jumping? I would play it because this is not a 2D platformer. Like I said, that's just the shell for it. What this is is a really cool real-time fighting system. And this is where um, they, these folks can do exactly what they were doing in Skullgirls without expecting me to know a bunch of twitchy fighting game stuff. Lab Zero knows how to make really cool, interesting characters with personality that fight in interesting ways. So in Indivisible, when I'm running around on the 2D platformer, you know, if this was Dead Cells, I would have a weapon and I would use the attack and the ranged attack and maybe a hard attack, and I would fight the things on that 2D platformer level. In Indivisible, when I run into something, the game, it's like a JRPG, the game pops into a separate combat. And this combat is real-time, not in a way to expect it to be twitchy, but just to keep the pacing up. And a party of four characters now appears. And I time button presses. Uh, each character has one of the buttons on the gamepad. Uh, and whenever I press that button, that character, she does his or her thing. And what I can do is I can wait to store up attacks for that character. Uh, I can add a directional input to make the attacks different, and they're unique for each character. Uh, one directional input might buff the character. Another one might do a special attack. Another one might just do the regular attack. But it's all super quick, super simple, and it lets me look at the really cool character design stuff they do without having to learn combos and whatnot in the context of a fighting game. Uh, and I quite like that. that. That's interesting because the layout you're talking about for the control sounds very much like, you know, almost a very slow-paced, almost turn-based Skullgirls. Yeah, because and you can even actually hold down Nick a, a button to uh, 
to kind of pause it. And it doesn't quite pause it. It slows it down to super slow bullet time where nothing's really going to happen. But yeah, you can kind of pause the game even like that. And like I said, the whole thing isn't, the real time isn't to push you or to challenge you or to make it more difficult. It's just to keep the pacing going. Um, so it, it almost reminds me, uh, the last Final Fantasy game, when you would break out into combat, it was this weird like real time stuff. And uh, it because a lot of final like just a lot of JRPGs is they'll break out into turn-based combat, and it's very different pacing from when you're walking around in the overworld, and that's just part of the formula. Here they didn't want it to be turn-based combat, they didn't want it to be twitch-based, so they just make it run in continuous time. And because you've got four characters, each of which can be on different cooldown timers, by the way, and each of which can do different things, they let it you know running in real time just keeps it engaging. And if you really feel overwhelmed, just hold down that button and everything slows down. Now, here's where I'm going to get mad at this game. Uh-oh. There's a certain kind of developer that makes a game that assumes I'm going to play this game and only this game continuously. And here's how they make it, and here's how that happens. And here's what Indivisible does and why I'm mad at it. I started playing Indivisible a couple of weeks ago when it first came out booted it up, was like, yeah, okay, this is cool, I'm on board. Put it aside to check out some other things. Uh, went back to it a few weeks later, and was like, wait, I don't remember, how does she use her axe again? I had to look that stuff up. Then I put that down. I've just come back to it recently to talk about it for the podcast today. There's no reference place to look up what stuff does. They're assuming that everything I did in the tutorial, I did recently enough where I'm going to remember it. Like, oh. there's no... Now, I can look up some general moves, but for the most part, like, I have no idea how am I supposed to block in the real world, like, which is the button that fires off the special abilities, even going into, the, like, the key binding stuff. When you go into the, the key controls, it just tells you this is the A button, which is, like, what fighting games do. Um, so I'm completely I'm, – I'm utterly lost in terms of certain important bits of information about playing the game. And that's super annoying. Why can't I look that up somewhere? Well, because they want you to they want you to fumble. Okay, good. Well, it's because they remember <laughs> this stuff and they think, yeah, we show you once in the tutorial and you're good. Here's another yeah. thing. You you pick up these unique characters, they have cool abilities. At any point you can go into a little party screen. You can look at the different characters. What is there? There's a little one sheet for each character that shows you what their abilities are because it's pretty simple and straightforward. But when you're actually fighting a battle, you don't get that information. If I jump into battle and I'm like, wait a minute, I want to see what Genzine's little healing thing works. Is it push up or push down? Let me pause the game. Yeah, I can pause the game. I can even look at the map if I want at this point. What I can't look at is the party screen that tells me the information about what the damn characters do. Why, when I most need that information, can I not have it? Uh, Challenge. Yeah, get good. Get good. Yeah, that's just rude of them. Uh, so... But, you know, that's – so in the game's defense, the be, one of the t nicest things I can say about the game is even this really annoying thing that it does that plenty of games do, and I find – I still want to play it. Uh, furthermore, here's some real high praise. Uh, there's a, a fair amount of storytelling in this uh, in that you run around, and as you meet different characters, it's called indivisible because when you meet a character – they get sucked into your brain, and they're, like, inside your head now. So you're inseparable from these characters. You can't be divided from them. You're indivisible. Wow. So there's a fair amount of introduction to characters, and the characters comment on stuff. And guess what? I am not annoyed at the storytelling. What? You're getting old, Tom. You're getting old. And it's not just that, that I'm not annoyed. Here's the other thing. I have been playing uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, of course, the single player. Uh, McMaster, I jumped into uh, Disco Elysium, and my God, am I loving that. Um, Isn't it awesome? <laughs> it, it, it really is, yeah. Uh, and I also started up uh, After Party, the, the folks that did uh, Night School Studios that yeah, did. Yeah, I'm curious uh, about that one because I love, uh, yeah, that game, other game. So I'm basically playing three other games awesome. that are – I'm, I'm basically playing three other games, After Party, Red Dead Redemption 2, and uh, Disco Elysium, that are strongly narrative and story-based, and that are good enough to really sustain that story. Even though I'm playing those, 
I am willing to sit through and listen to the voice acting uh, and, and watch the cutscenes. They're not really cutscenes; they're just dialogue. But I'm still willing to deal with all of that in uh, Indivisible, and that's that's high praise considering these other three games I'm playing. Let me ask this question: uh, Indivisible. Does it have a character who is a giant saxophone in a trench coat? That's one of the the dudes in Skullgirls, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does not. They they unfortunately, I wouldn't mind if they used the characters in Skullgirls, but I don't know. There might be a rights issue there because there was some split in the studio where some of them went on to do the Skullgirls stuff. So I. Whoa! Who's running a scanner? What? (laughs) Who's getting pulled over? McMaster, I'm going to need your driver's license. So I'm enjoying the story. Uh, one of the things that makes the story work is that they're clever writing. They're, they're really clever character design. Uh, the main voice actress, uh, I listening to her, and, and all the voice actors are just they're, – they're obviously having a lot of fun. The main voice actress, there's some kind of almost indiscernible accent, and I really like that. It gives – her enthusiasm, uh, this kind of a piquant flavor to it. And, and at first I thought it was a Hispanic accent. I couldn't quite tell. So I looked up the voice actress. Uh, her name is Tanya Gunadi, and she's Indonesian, which, of course, do you guys know the famous Indonesian voice acting from video gaming? Uh, you really mean, dis- who? Do you mean uh, from the, the, the Just Cause game? Bolo Santosi, exactly. Bolo Santosi, right, right. No. You might not have remembered her name, but you knew exactly who I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Bolo Santosi, I don't know if that actress is actually Indonesian, but it was a super exaggerated Indonesian accent. Uh, Tanya Gennady in, in Indivisible, it's not over the top like that at all. Like I said, it's just a little flavor. I love the accent to it, and I was just so tickled to find out that she comes from the same country as Bolo Santosi. Uh, so, uh, All right, so Indivisible. Outer Worlds, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare. Um, yeah, make your own minds up. I don't think I'm going back to – I don't think I – except for Indivisible, I don't think I'm playing either of those other two anytime soon. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Whatever. But you did get I, me into I, Disco Elysium, McMaster, so you got that going oh, for yeah. you. So everyone, thanks for listening. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with uh, Jason McMaster. And Nick Diamond. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, probably to talk about Death Strand. It's Death Stranding? That's really the name yes. of it. Death Stranding. That's really the name of it. Yeah. What even does that mean? I don't know. But we'll also probably talk about some Red Dead Redemption, too. So, probably. Uh, no, yeah. I can't imagine. Well, <laughs> listen and find out, and we'll talk to everyone then. Cheers. Cheers.